Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode, another wonderful episode of the DS30 podcast, where we talk about a topic in data science for about 30 minutes, more or less. My name is Nicholas. I'm co-host number one, and I am joined by my other co-host, Anna. How are you, Anna? I am great. Good. How's, uh, how's online life? How is teaching with you? I know we just started another cohort with our online fellowship. We did. Uh, um, it's going well, I feel. I'm still getting used to this online thing, uh, yeah. but getting there, getting there. Good, good, good. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that we're dealing with online uh, growing pains right now because actually the person that we are interviewing today, Daphne Kiss, is the uh, CEO of WorldQuant University, an entirely online university. So basically, they've been doing this from the beginning. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, and she's going to be talking to us all about the program, their master's in financial engineering, their uh, uh, certificate programs in data science and machine learning. And I have to say, this was like a totally inspiring conversation. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yeah. we should say that not only is it completely online, it's also completely free. Uh, yeah. So just an amazing project and looking forward to um, sharing everything that Daphne uh, was talking to us about. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Daphne, thank you so much for being on our DS30 podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, the pleasure is all ours. So we are going to start with the same question we ask all our guests. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it is you do and how you came to do it. Sure. So uh, I am the CEO of WorldQuant University, uh, whose mission it is to bring um, uh, opportunity to qualified individuals around the world who have uh, the natural and potential talent to uh, uh, benefit from the programs that we offer. So WorldQuant University does two things. We run a master's program in financial engineering, uh, which is generally speaking, uh, the intersection of financial management, data science and computer science. And then we also offer a, a data science module, um, which is a two unit, 16 week module. Uh, basically, as, as uh, our colleagues like to say, it's kind of uh, learning data science inside the Linux box and really using uh, the opportunity to learn Python and to really uh, apply it in a business environment and uh, make it relevant and applicable. That's great. Um, I think at this moment, maybe I would be interested in the origin, sort of how did WorldQuant University even start? When did that happen? How did that all go? Sure. So WorldQuant University was founded by Igor Tolchinsky. Igor is a uh, well-known quant. He has a company called WorldQuant LLC that is basically an investment management company uh, and uses uh, quantitative uh, design and alpha design to make investment decisions. And Igor himself is an immigrant and um, came to the United States, extremely intelligent and had the opportunity of education and is very uh, conscious and aware that that um, was a unique and very uh, privileged experience to have. And he uses his donor dollars to invest in education consistently and had the idea some years ago, how do we leverage technology and leverage this set of skills, which are very much in demand and bring them together in something that would be a free, completely online experience. And mm -hmm. so uh, 
that was the idea. Uh, I originally was on the advisory board and then was asked if I was interested in running it. And for me, it was a great uh, convergence of interests. Uh, I've uh, been in the world of technology for decades. I have um, been involved in many startups and run and built successful businesses. And so uh, I thought this was you know, the moment when really the sort of promised, decades old promise of technology, we could really bring it to fruition. Uh, being lean, building an organization that could rely on uh, a community of experts to build something that was sufficiently stable to create a real learning experience, but also would be regularly innovate around how to best deliver the content, how best to have students work together. You know, we have students in over a hundred countries um, and they are working across geographies. And, you know, one of the great pleasures is not just, I mean, is we know people are capable of this now, but that people are engaged together in a virtual community of sorts to collaborate and produce research. You know, one person in Senegal and one person in Singapore, Singapore and to bring it together as a, for, for shared results. And also, I think one of the things very important in this context is that we very much big believers in the advantages of peer-to-peer -peer learning, traditional higher education, a very hierarchical. And what we have here is the opportunity to have um, students who come to this experience with their own level of expertise help one another out. So in the master's program, it's a very interdisciplinary degree, really. And we have students who come from a whole assortment of backgrounds from business and economics and finance to applied physics and chemistry and agriculture. And so uh, they bring different strengths and weaknesses. And so the platform allows them both to learn from people who have domain expertise, as well as to leverage their shared knowledge and exchange. And I think that's one of the great promises of online education. And then of course, the other program we have is a data science module which is a 16 week, <clears throat> two unit uh, module in the data sciences, very practical learning Python and really uh, applying it in business cases and making it very relevant to the demands of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We're, uh, you know, uh, again, and that's sort of never wanting to leave the startup mode in that sense, we're always iterating bringing in new technologies that we help think will help the experience be uh, more rigorous, uh, more assessment-based, more collaborative, and um, re keep renewing itself over time. That's, oh, this is just totally fascinating to me. I have so many questions to ask, but I guess uh, I know a little bit about the technology of the data science module because mm -hmm. uh, we take care of that, but I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, you talk about technology being integral to what it is you do, both in terms of the content, but also how it's delivered. Tell me a little bit about how the master's degree looks like from a technology perspective. How, it is, how is it that, that students are interacting across all of these time zones? Right, so we use a lot of, of different technologies that are, I mean, we've been Zoom users for uh, a very long time, actually. Before it was before it was cool. Before it was cool. <laughs> before it was an IPO, actually, and so um, we uh, and and it, uh, Zoom is a very interesting, actually, uh, specific use case because 
uh, even just a couple of years ago. So the program was designed a lot of it like many online programs, sort of the lectures and the notes and the resources are kind of in the can and are available to students asynchronistically and at, at their own pace. Um, but each course has exams and papers, etc., that need to be delivered and are uh, each of these courses is instructor led with real people <laughs> at the helm. And so in addition to this sort of the, the established information and lectures, etc., we have uh, very engaged faculty who are constantly in forums, interacting with students, answering questions, um, and again, an environment in which students can engage peer to peer and help each other solve the problems that are the assignments, help one another better understand the results that are being sought, etc. And then interestingly, and then Zoom is something we added so that in real time, students can meet with the faculty and discuss and talk. And then faculty are further recording. So, you know, once you establish what some of the, apart from the lectures, what are some of the issues that keep repeating themselves? You can, you know, using Zoom, record a session. They're, they've been equipped with cameras. And so we give them cameras so they can build the equations and show it and put it up in the course, in the course room, essentially, where students can look to it and see, ah, that's how that was done, all right? So that's one new use of Zoom. And of course, the ability, as we do here, to record, et cetera. But one of the other things is we, we are, have a good fortune of having a great and, and you know, pretty impressive uh, advisory board. And so we have access to, in this world of financial engineering, a lot of well-known experts and thought leaders in the field. And for a long time, we've known that we wanna like establish a lecture series uh, or to supplement, so on the one hand, to supplement the content in a course with you know, guest lecturers, et cetera, and then we have other lectures that would be interested, interesting to just the students overall, regardless of where in the sequence they are. And a couple of years ago, to have that, we were like, okay, well, let's find all the people we can in New York, and we invite them to a studio, and we, you know, have a um, get a good background, and we record them carefully, and this and that. And that's like that has just evaporated as an issue. So we can now find that talent, reach out. We can have, as we're doing here in this format, okay? We can have a, a guest lecture in which someone presents, again, something that may be supplementary to a specific course, or if their name is big enough and they're well-known, you know, is something that any student, again, not specifically where they are in the program, but regardless of where they are, would find this thought leader of interest. Um, and so we're about to embark on that in a way that's just become much flatter and much easier to achieve. And so that's a, a really good example of how um, something that was there as a barrier has just completely evaporated. And mm. now, you know, so our job is really to focus on that curation. It used to be that you had to provide the curation and you had to provide the production. And now those two things, it's just kind of gone away as an issue. And so we can talk to somebody anywhere in the world. And, and again, we can have a, an interview format, a fireside chat format. We can have a lecture that's formally delivered with supplementary materials. And that is going to change this, this environment a lot, I mm. think. 
Sorry, I was going to say that, that uh, speaking of sort of the online experience and all the amazing technology that you're leveraging here to build this um, uh, great experience uh, for students, sounds like you've been doing this since the beginning now that everybody else is trying to catch up given the situation in the world. Um, it yeah, we're feeling like a little a little like, uh, I told you so. I mean, there is a yeah. little <laughs> bit of that. I, we have to confess. Um, uh, we've uh, we've also been in some uh, formal review of some of our stuff and some of the questions we were asked before. Our team is very wide geographically distributed, um, and you know these these reviewers were asking us what you know. Well, don't you find it like less efficient because one of you is in California and another in New Orleans and uh, so on? We were like, no, it works really well. I mean, surely we love to get together every few months. And, 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 you know, share a meal and drink a glass of wine, but our uh, effectiveness is not dependent on that. And um, they doubted us a little bit. And now we're like, you know, you want us to teach you how it's done, you know, so there's a little <laughs> bit of that. You know, what can, haters are going to hate, you know, it's yeah. just the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> it, so. You know, it, it, it seems to me that there are kind of two issues here. Uh, I'm thinking about culture because mm -hmm. on the one hand, you're dealing with not just students, but it almost sounds, you also have faculty that are from all over, right? Yes. yes. Uh -huh. and, and so on the one hand, everyone is juggling these different norms. Uh, I know that when I worked in education abroad, people had very different ideas of how to teach a class, what, what an A was, what a B plus was, yes. you know? And, and so on, on the one hand, I'm curious about uh, creating a common culture for faculty and students across all of those different cultural norms, but then also the online piece as well. You know, how do you create a, a community of practice or, you know, norms of how you're supposed to behave in an online community? How have you guys uh, looked at those challenges? Right. So, you know, it's interesting because in some way, I, I one of the things I have to remind myself often is that we should have no greater expectations of ourselves than people had in a brick and mortar environment. So anyone who's been through higher education knows there are good teachers and there are less great teachers and they don't all adhere to the norms. Yes, they get through the established and you know, agreed upon curriculum ideally, but I've certainly been in classes where even that didn't happen. So I think that the, you know, the question of adherence, while of course that's our goal, I have to remind myself sometimes that um, you know, the, the, the higher education classroom was always a sort of vaguely defined environment. And um, so we, we, sh we have to do the best we can, but there are definitely differences in styles. Uh, the faculty meet regularly. We have faculty meetings just on Zoom on a regular basis. They're regularly in communication with each other. And many of our course courses are taught by a faculty and an instructor because we have a couple of hundred students in the class. And they get divided into subgroups, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's kind of like having the faculty and the TA, in a sense, working uh, together. So that contributes to shared standards. I think the bigger issue, it's, much, it's honestly the material and agreed upon material of what and the sort of uh, knowledge base that's trying to be embarked and, you know, and, and exchanged to students is that's the easier part. I think the harder part is actually norms between students across geographies. One of the things we're working on right now, for example, we're, you know, uh, applying like Turnitin like everybody else in terms of, of, of plagiarism. But we're also aware that we need to, we're preparing actually a video, whiteboard video to talk about uh, what 
about plagiarism, all right? If you, people have different standards in different parts of the world. We are a US entity, so we're going to go by US standards. And I think probably compared to much of the world, they're, relative, they're very high standards in terms of definitions of plagiarism and, and um, you know, whose IP is whose IP. Um, and so, uh, but again, we think that there's an education that has to go around that. So not only do we install the software, we make sure that when students are, are, are um, onboarding that, that there's a whole bunch of resources to support that onboarding so that they, they uh, understand what, what it is and what the environment is that they're entering and the codes of behavior. I mean, we have a catalog with you know, standards and codes of behavior that students, of course, have to sign those disclosure forms and agree to the terms of use, et cetera. Uh, and that's all very automated. Um, so, uh, and, you know, we try very much to highlight the important, most important pieces of that. But I do think the culture comes up often in terms of how students work peer to peer and how uh, often, uh, one thing that we're not, um, you know, there are a lot of WhatsApp groups. There are a lot of behaviors that are not within uh, our university. We may have an official WhatsApp group, obviously we have on every social media channel, but there's a lot happening at the periphery that we can't control, we don't want to control, yeah. that is actually just like life in a campus, right? Where you know people eat with different people in the cafeteria and they share whatever they share. And so there's some version of that that happens online as well. Um, and I think we just have to learn to live with that uh, as long as we make it clear what our expectations as an institution are. Mm -hmm. And that's, and um, you know, in a way that's the best that we can do. But there are certainly, I have been instances, you know, humorous stories where um, someone, you know, who, who grew up in what had previously been a British colony uh, will refer to my colleague and write back to her and say, darling, I didn't mean that, okay? <laughs> for example. Okay, now she's like, you know, makes her hair stand up. It's like, excuse me. But of course, you know, it's a it's a colloquial thing that he might have learned from some other, you know, uh, having been taught English in a particular time and context that is not our shared, uh, you know, idiolect necessarily. And so how do we how do we bring all that together and agree on norms of behavior? And that's an ongoing challenge. Um, uh, it hasn't been really an issue, but I do think uh, the best that we can do there is have a very consistent voice in how we present that's professional and friendly and has it, the expectations are transparent and explicit and, uh, and then hope that people behave accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I, you know, it's so funny. I uh, worked in a master's program in the Middle East mm -hmm. and we spent a lot of time figuring out standards of practice, especially around the, the uh, I mean, the, the notion of what, oh, gender, sure, but also uh, plagiarism. You know, yes. what is plagiarism? What is, what is IP, you yes. know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's uh, you know, and, 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 and frankly, it is important that we do that because again, this is a practical degree. This is one that, and uh, these norms of behavior are ones that are expected in the professional environment in which uh, our graduates hopefully will will you know uh, choose to use the skills that they've acquired, and yeah. so you know one of the big things that's come up in education recently and that has been a complaint about brick and mortar higher education, for example, is that 
um, you know, it's been very theoretical. It's been very in the bubble. It's very in that one of the things higher education has not done a good job at is transitioning students from the student experience to the marketplace and where jobs are. And mm -hmm. so uh, there's some incredible statistics about what percentage of the business world is now accustomed to working online, uses Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it might be, and that students coming from, you know, brick and mortar uh, university or college environments, is, it's not the way they're accustomed to collaborating and working together. Mm -hmm. And so actually what we're doing here is closer to how the world of business functions than university, you know, a traditional yeah. university yeah. is. That's very exciting. So one thing I imagine some of our listeners are thinking is, uh, so where do I apply? How do I yeah. apply? How do I get into this? <laughs> yeah, where do, where do I apply? I want to know. I apply? And how does that process work? And what can they expect? So anybody um, can apply. Uh, they need to have a bachelor's degree. They need to have official transcripts and evidence of a bachelor degree has been achieved. There is uh, a, an lengthy ap application process. And there is a, uh, a quantitative proficiency exam that we give. Um, and of course, our goal there is just to ensure that students are coming in. We want them to be successful. We're not, we want to take as many students as we can, but we also want them to succeed. And so this quantitative proficiency, proficiency exam has been very, very, uh, has really elevated the quality of the students that are coming in uh, so that they can demonstrate at least not, not knowledge, but capacity for the kinds of rigorous, quantitatively driven, statistically um, relevant kinds of, 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 of uh, uh, information and knowledge that we're embarking. So imparting. So um, that's a piece. And then for those students who don't come from, uh, uh, we're not, uh, don't come from university where English is the language of instruction they need to take a, a language proficiency exam. But here again, here's a perfect other example of leveraging technology until recently. You know, we had the traditional choices of higher education, the TOEFL and the other exams that are out there that are very expensive and have historically required that a student physically go to a testing center in order to, to demonstrate their proficiency. So we recently just started working and we put it right in there is, is Duolingo, for people who know, it's a language learning app. And Duolingo has a English, an English proficiency test that they offer. And that test costs $50 instead of $250, $300. So it's our hope that at that low barrier to entry that students who might be very successful in the program can now apply and and with very little and outside you know initial investment make themselves eligible for an entirely free program so it's www.wqu.org wow. <laughs> and there's okay. all the information there about applying and that's true for both the master's program the for the data science module the barrier to entry is much lower again there's a very initial and, and uh, more basic uh, quantitative uh, or proficiency exam, again, to ensure that students uh, can handle the material. Uh, but again, doesn't require any, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree, we don't, you know. You could be 15, you could be 150, we don't know. So. And I, I can vouch, we have both 15-year-olds, and I don't know if we have any 150-year-olds, <laughs> but we definitely have, we have some old, old, wise old sages, I guess I yes. should say. 
Yes. <laughs> Very cool. And and how long does it take to complete the the master's degree? So the master's is a two year program. Okay. There are nine courses and then a, uh, a capstone project, which is takes slightly longer. And it um, uh, they're all sequentially taught. And uh, it should take a student two years to get through the program. Uh, students are allowed to take a leave. Again, you know, we're talking, this is the other thing, of course, about all this kind of learning, is that we're getting people who are already out in the workplace, who are trying to elevate skills, are trying to, you know, rejigger their careers to be more relevant and to future-proof a little bit. And, uh, but people have lives, and we know that. So students have up to three years to complete the program. So they can take a leave of absence, et cetera, but have must complete the program within three years to uh, achieve the credential. I see. And and once you, I mean, there's the investment of getting maybe your uh, your TOEFL or duolingual uh, uh, score, but once you're in the program, it's is it free? It's uh, entirely 100% free. Yes. Okay. And all yes. the masters, uh, this is actually, this was a big upgrade for us. Everything in the program, all the content is free. So in the, you know, the world now, there is enough uh, available information to teach a graduate level program such as this without the need for expensive textbooks. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yes. <laughs> one, one up for open educational resources. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. And library resources are there and sure. databases and all the stuff that people need to do quality work, graduate level work. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah. Um, but I do know that you have, um, of course, been involved in a lot more than just the World Quant University. If I know correctly, you uh, sort of have a lot of experience with all sorts of different startups in general, kind of. Do you yes. uh, want to tell us a little bit more about any of the other projects you've been part of? Um, well, sure. I could tell you about one other startup that I uh, actually am a founder of, which is called Litmus Health. And it's actually not very quite actually relevant in to World Quant University in the sense that it is about leveraging technology in the health arena. And our goal there is to uh, uh, use um, <clears throat> passively collected data uh, through sensors and wearables uh, to capture quality of life data and to use that data for studies and clinical trials. So uh, it's a different community, but it has shares many, like education, many shared compliance requirements, documentation, policies, et cetera, because in both cases, of course, privacy and security are, are, are top of the game and very, very important. Um, apart from that, I have spent many years, um, yeah, mentoring, particularly uh, women-led startups, and uh, that's something I've done for, for a long, long time. Uh, and um, that's been very important work. Uh, I think the world has really changed, I'm happy to say. <laughs> I mean, still, unfortunately, a fraction of funding goes to women founders, but uh, apart from the sort of eco, you know, the, the tech world's um, whatever passion and, and uh, romance with the world of startups, uh, just in the you know, terrible circumstance we're in now, uh, the reality is, for example, as we're all sitting around talking about these SBA loans that people are waiting for, the majority of companies in the last uh, 10 years have been started by women, uh, which again has been awesome, but also right now may turn out to be a terrible point of failure where 
um, you know, they, they don't have the kind of funding and runway that will uh, necessarily uh, allow them to endure. But um, mentoring women entrepreneurs has been something I've done for a long time and I'm very, still very passionate about. Um, and both in consumer and in enterprise, uh, just think there's huge opportunities. And I think uh, it's been very interesting to watch that evolution over time, how funding has opened up and become more available. And I think that's related also to a generation of technologists and women who are not just bringing business expertise, but technology expertise to, to bear in terms of founding companies. And that makes a huge, huge difference. And, and so, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a woman and I have this idea and I want to have a startup and, and, and get some funding, what do you think are some concrete steps that I can take to, to making that idea a reality? Should I be looking for a mentor? Should I be doing other things? I mean, what well, would you recommend to someone? Well, I think it, you know, it's, it's, it, um, there isn't one across the board answer, of course, because it depends at what stage your company is. I think if it's at an ideation stage, you need to surround yourself with people you trust and figure out how do you go about doing that? Can you sell on an idea? Do you have to sort of self-fund or a, a community of friends and family who are going to fund you through proof of concept? Um, and, uh, but certainly the opportunity, again, I think, unfortunately, it's, there's some gender issues here, which are, uh, it's easier for men to sell, uh, to get early stage, but significant funding on an idea than it is for women to do that. But um, I also, there are, and, and again, I think we're, we're, the world we're in right now since for the last two months slightly impacts this, but there are endless, endless, endless accelerators out there, some of which are very gender focused, some of which are not, some of which are thematic. One of the things I think that's improved a lot in this, in this um, early stage pipeline is it used to be, you know, there was a lot of spray and pray going on out there. And one of the now, things... What's spray and pray just for... <laughs> Well, Those just the idea know. that you have an idea, you, you know, you, you could put it out there on social media, you see if people adhere to it and abide by it and help it virally grow or not, or not, then you shut it down, you try a different idea. But I think that one of the things that has increasingly become true is that there are sector specific accelerators whether it's enterprise or, or, or consumer or uh, in, you know, retail, which we know, you know, is about to go through just, you know, unimaginable challenges or it's in, in, in uh, sustainability or it's, so I think that more and more there are sector specific accelerators where people are bringing that domain expertise. And so uh, someone either at the ideation stage or at the initial seed stage has the opportunities to surround themselves with people who um, um, can help mentor and get them along, but are ideally hopefully seasoned and know what they're doing. Having said that, I also think that, um, you know, tenacity and the will to do it is about two thirds of what it's gonna to take to be successful okay. and to learn who to listen to and who not to listen to. But <laughs> that's a whole longer conversation. So. I bet, I bet. So Anna, this is your chance. Do you have like a, do you have an idea to pitch or any? I feel inspired. I will have to pick out of the many, many great ideas that I have. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, there are a lot of ideas out there. And of course, then the other thing is it's, you know, it's so much of it is about execution as we know and about timing. 
And sure. that's, you know, if there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of unicorn companies that uh, the people think they were gods. And if they, every once in a while need to be reminded that many of those ideas were out there before, but it was 10 years earlier. And either the pipe wasn't big enough so that those ideas could come to pass, or the culture wasn't there yet, or, you know, consumers weren't thinking that way. I think, again, it's the silver lining of what's going on right now. Mm. Just that we have a moment in which people, um, just by circumstance, are embracing experiences that they would have never otherwise, you know, uh, necessarily by choice gone to. I mean, if I tell you what it's like to talk to my, you know, 70-year-old dear comparative literature professor friend who is now, you know, teaching Macbeth online, okay, <laughs> you can, you, and, and when she's done with that is trying to figure out how to use Instacart, you know, it, it blows her mind every day. But the fact of the matter is in the next few months, she will be proficient at that and it'll come naturally to her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's sort of a, I mean, thinking about embracing change and seeing what comes out of it is, is I think a wonderful place to, to end the, our discussion here. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, before we end though, you know, is there a call to action is there a call to action that you have for our um, audience, something that you want them to do, something you want them to know? Uh, yeah, I want them to know that um, that uh, World Point University is like really for real, that it's very high quality experience, that uh, we are searching the planet for qualified uh, students, and that our goal really is, you know, that as, as Igor likes to say, talent is equally distributed, opportunity is not. And we are really trying hard to bring opportunity to the talent. So uh, I encourage people who think this might be of interest to them, either the, both the data science module and or the, the uh, master's program to have a look at our website, to check it out, to apply, to see, you know, there's, uh, you'll find out whether you should do it now or whether you should go off and study a few things and then come back and try again. So, uh, that's, that's what it's there for. And, and uh, the more our success is measured by, by um, engagement and by finding those individuals who are gonna benefit from this and then use those talents out in the marketplace across geographies. Fantastic. Daphne, okay. thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.